This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and Heronext.com. Finally, a comic shopping site for collectors by collectors. Achoo! This is Jason Sachs, author of the American Comic Book Chronicles of the 1970s, and you're listening to the Two Headed Dirt Comic Podcast with Bill and Matt. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like good. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is my pleasure to welcome you to episode 176, not a landmark, just another episode, of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, August 27th. My name's Matt Baum. You can find me on the Twitter under the handle at Matt Baumstein, and when I'm not secretly using listeners' tweets to write this damn show, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick, that's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter, and when I'm not bullying my co-host into reviewing comics I want him to review, that's not how it goes. Forced. No, you just pick one. Push. You don't have to read your whole stack and then pick one. He's mean. Look at the list and pick one. That's what I do. Call your shot. He acts like a sweetheart on the internet, but I'll tell you, I know the real Joe Patrick. Everyone knows I'm the good one. I'm also the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. In this week's episode, you're going to hear our in-depth reviews of Wayward Number 1 and Sundowners Number 1. After that, we're going to review 10 more of this week's new comics while leading a faceless mob to London or Japan or wherever the hell we have to get to the bottom of this Hello Kitty bullshit during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where we're trading our souls for some fantasy football draft tips. And I don't need no tips. Discussing next week's comics. Oh, we'll see, buddy. And finally, it's time for another fifth week event here at THN. So due to some weird scheduling, I think it was supposed to actually be next week, we're stepping into the comic studio to interview our buddy, Jason Sachs, a.k.a. Jason Sexier, one of the writers of the American Comic Book Chronicles, the 1970s. But before we kiss Secret Avengers, all-new Ultimates, Elektra, and the all-new Invaders goodbye. And probably Ghost Rider. And probably Ghost Rider. Let's welcome back college football and the new four-team playoff system that almost makes it a real sport. And then we can talk about this week's big news. We've got big news. That's okay. It's It's a Hollywood-themed news week because nothing happened in comics. Sorry, folks. Well, a bunch of stuff got canceled. That's probably not true, but first... Wesley Snipes is itching to slip back into the black leather and prosthetic fangs. According to the New York Daily News, sources close to Snipes have said that the actor has reached a deal with Marvel Studios to reprise his role as Blade the Vampire Hunter. The report states that Snipes would receive a $3 million paycheck along with a cut of the film's profits. That is nothing, (laughs) by the way. (laughs) Snipes last played the character in the abominable Blade Trinity back in 2004. Also starring Triple H. Also starring Ryan Reynolds. It's true. Dude has a track record for tanking comic book movies, I'm just saying. He does. Marvel Studios reacquired the film rights to the character in 2011. You know what? To be fair, Ryan Reynolds, easily the best part. He's absolutely the best part of Blade Trinity. He really was. Yeah, totally. Hannibal King. He was playing Hannibal King. Right. In a Comic-Con interview, Snipes told MTV that he'd be willing to suit up for another installment. Quote, I think we've got some stones left unturned, and there's some latitude for us to build on. I'd love to get back in the suit again and do some things that I've learned how to do now (laughs) that I didn't know how to do then. What does that mean? (laughs) I think we're better at making that kind of a film now. End quote. 
Matt, are you ready to bet on black one more time? I got really excited for this. Nice passenger 57 reference, by the way. I actually, I really wanted to shoehorn something about Blackulas in there. I really got excited when I read this. I love Blade and Blade 2. And I love Wesley Snipes as Blade. And he still looks good. He's out of prison. He was just in the Expendables He 3. needs money. He needs some <laughs> cash. I get that, you know? I, I don't have any problem with it. Do I think there's going to be a Blade movie? I don't know. But it wouldn't surprise me if Blade showed up in something. Okay, well, here's the situation. This this does sound kind of like bullshit. It does. Because you think Marvel Studios is going to say, hey, go ahead and tell the New York Daily News about your Blade deal. I would think Marvel would want to control that. This, you know? I mean, this was essentially a gossip column. Right. So sources close to Snipes. Like, who knows what that even means? You know, somebody he smokes weed with or something. I don't know. But for some reason, other outlets have decided to run with it. Like it's fact, maybe it's a slow news week. I don't know, but I guess I, I brought it up more for the discussion. Like maybe it could be in the next round of Netflix shows possibly. And I don't, you know what? I don't see this as being that bizarre because blade is already a proven seller. They it's, made money on those movies. It's true. But do you really think that they would not cast a new blade? I don't know. Again, Snipes still looks great. And he's not that old of a guy. I mean, really, Robert Downey Jr. But think I of think it from a. This, let's see. Let's see how old Robert is Downey nice? Jr. is in his fifties. I mean, has that ever happened? Has a property ever been rebooted with the same actor? No, <laughs> no. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. forty nine. Snipes fifty two. It makes a lot of sense to say, yeah, they're probably not going to rebrand Blade and have a new Blade movie with the old Blade. But maybe Blade shows up in Doctor Strange. I, I think this is nonsense. I think it's nonsense. But I will say. That if Marvel Studios announced that they were bringing back Blade somehow and Wesley Snipes was going to be Blade. I'd be totally on board. I would not only be totally on board, but I would be f***ing excited. Yeah, I think it sounds <laughs> awesome, personally. Because I love the Blade movies and I don't care. Uh, yeah, now the third one was terrible. <laughs> no, the third one's bad. Hitfix.com posted an unintentionally hilarious bit of news this week when they reported on a claim that Warner Brothers has instituted a firm no jokes policy for their DC <laughs> Comics films. Hitfix writer Drew McQueenie speculates that the rule stems from the massive failure of the joke-heavy Green Lantern movie versus the runaway success of Christopher Nolan's Batman trilogy. It had nothing to do with the fact that one of those movies was good and the other one sucked. Right. Of course, it was the jokes. That's what right, threw right. me. The whole idea is so bizarre that even though his article was supported by five different sources, McQueenie publicly asked David Goyer and Zack Snyder to debunk the rumor. I don't know that they did. Like, he may have just put it in the article that says, hey, Zack Snyder, please write back and say that this is stupid. That's exactly what he did. Yeah. He's like, guys, tell me this isn't true. <laughs> right. And he just left it up to them. Hasn't heard anything yet. Joe, weren't we just talking about Hollywood learning the wrong lessons a couple of weeks ago? Something about James Cameron in a big boat. I don't right, recall. right, right. Have those uh, people the seen kid, any of the Marvel films, by the way? The kids were hilarious. This funny comic book movie failed. Obviously... The kids hate jokes. Oh, there it is. That's why Guardians of the Galaxy tanked so hard, right? right? Exactly. This is, again, a story that just seems too ludicrous to be accurate. I don't know, man. I like. I don't find this that unbelievable. I can see some like DC Warner Brothers mogul being like, you know, the problem was it was too funny. Batman was terrifying. Make it terrifying. You know, <laughs> like something along those lines, you know, whether it's true or not, the, the idea that this kind of rumor can gain any traction at all 
Yeah. Speaks volumes to how people perceive DC and Warner Brothers properties it right is now. Very telling as to how business is being done there right now. This has to stop. Yeah. It has to stop. Yeah. <laughs> I, I read a, um, in the Comics Alliance article about this that I sourced this story from. One of the commenters said something that I thought was just hilarious. He said, Yeah. I uh, I really thought the Man of Steel movie was just okay. I find my I found myself hoping it would be longer and more dour. <laughs> and I think that he hit the nail right on the head. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, like, if they're gonna make a movie where the most popular characters in the world, like Avengers, are one thing, right? Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman are gonna be in the same movie in a year. Yeah. And t- the idea that it's going to be like a depressing grimace dark scowl fest just extreme mean it's gonna be dark with extra r's i'm superman oh no i'm wonder woman shut up <laughs> oh Batman, <laughs> screw both of you you know <laughs> i can't wait man uh wow this is stupid finally dreams really do come true in 2010 community star donald glover spearheaded an online campaign to be cast as the lead character in the then upcoming Amazing Spider-Man film. He was totally serious about it too. I well like it was not a joke. At at first it was sort of like a it was not a joke necessarily, but he didn't think he was gonna actually make it, but oh, then it actually gained traction. Yeah, I don't think he actually thought he was gonna make it, but he was partially like, hey, I dare you to cast a black dude as Spider-Man. Right. Come on. Glover's efforts took social media by storm and the campaign went viral, garnering an endorsement from Spider-Man creator Stan Lee and influencing the development of the new Ultimate Spider-Man, Miles Morales. While Andrew Garfield ended up in the role of Peter Parker, now Glover is finally getting the chance to play the web-slinging hero. Glover will voice Miles Morales in the upcoming season of Ultimate Spider-Man, Web Warriors, which features Peter Parker meeting different Spider-Men as he chases the Green Goblin through a series of alternate universes. Unlike anything else that's going on in the comics right now. Yeah, right. In an interview with USA Today, Glover said, quote, I don't think it has hit me necessarily yet how big a deal this is. That's the great part about the Spider-Man costume. He can be anybody. Spider-Man could be a girl. Spider-Man could be an old man. You don't know. So I just try to be as me as possible because you're always just going to bring it back to yourself when you watch the show. Spider-Man is the best because you just don't know who he is. And he's funny and he's poor. I understand Spider-Man a lot on that level. He's just trying to make it, end quote. While he's embracing his animated role, Glover still holds out hope for the real thing. Quote, I still have hopes to do something like that one day. I don't look at this as second place. Spider-Man is such an icon. You just have to do something with him. Donald Glover knows we know who Spider-Man is, right? I think it's more, <laughs> I think he means more like to somebody on the street. Right, right, right. Okay. You don't, like, Spider-Man could be, Spider-Man's an everyman. You can't see his face. He could, he could be you. You know, like, you could be that person under the costume. Me? Could be you. I don't even, whoa. Yeah. (laughs) This blew my mind. But this is like a no-brainer casting, right? They had to get him to do Miles Morales. I think it's great. I think it's totally great. I haven't watched much of the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon that is on. I do. I've seen it. I've seen the first, like, season and a half. It's different. Like it's, it's different. not exactly it's what guys like you and me might want in it's a very kid centric. I'm it, not gonna say kid friendly. I'll say kid centric. There's They're a lot of there's a kids. lot of like fourth wall breaking. Yeah. 
uh, you know, kind of silly far stuff. But I think it's really well done. It's really well done. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's it's a well good kid's animated. Cartoon. The stories are great. And so it the tone of it's not exactly what I necessarily want, but I yeah. totally get why people love it. It's not for you and I, certainly. Right. And I, I think, think this is really cool yeah. casting though. And if anything else, I might actually check out this alternate reality thing because it sounds awesome. I'm willing to give it a check. Yeah. I mean like Animated Spider Verse. Sounds fun. But yeah, good on Donald Glover. That dude deserves it. Maybe someday he'll get to totally. play a live action Miles Morales. Childish Gambino, man. Love that dude. Yeah. It was so Jay Z, Beyonce, my aunt say, keep the sex game for Conte. The Aunt May and Mary Jane that I was sitting on to make me try and forget that there was something wrong. Love is Russian roulette. I had to say. That's a big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or anything you think we missed, hit us up on the THN forums where Joel McHale and Allison Bree are lobbying to voice us in the upcoming Two Headed Nerd animated series. Personally, I think Miss Bree is going to nail you. But I mean that. I think she should be excellent. so weak, like a week ago. We ain't speaking. We ain't speaking. Okay. Every Sunday, the man Keeney to my Joel McHale, Joe Patrick, posts the question I get that of the reference. week. Good for you. In the THN forums, Joe, what do we ask the listeners this week? This week's question, inspired by our conversation a couple weeks ago about supervillains becoming good guys. I have no memory of that whatsoever. It was an Ask a Nerd question from two weeks ago. I don't even know what you're you talking You were about. present for the conversation. Yeah. I don't think I was there. What are your favorite and least favorite examples of a superhero becoming a supervillain? And I'm here to tell you, I already have both answers. I instantly have my least favorite. Yeah, me too. <laughs> and I'll bet, I'll bet ours are very similar. <laughs> I don't know about that, but we'll see. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. You have until midnight this coming Thursday, September 4th, to get us your answer. You can call and leave a message over Skype. The Skype handle is 2 Nerd, all one word, or call the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. Keep it under three minutes. You will get cut off. You can also send an MP3 to 2 Nerd at gmail.com. But again, remember to keep it tight. We got a lot of contributors, and we want to keep the show flowing. It's true. Give everybody a voice. Everybody. If you need more time... Feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums. Remember, we're talking one answer. One answer. Well, well one answer per two one, answers. One here. best, one worst. There you go. You, you want to list your top five? Forums. That's where it's, yeah, the forums, perfect for that crap. Get man. it done. Well, there are good guys and there are bad guys. And there are crooks and criminals. It's review time at THN, where Joe and I crush two of this week's comics under the sheer weight of our big fat opinions. Joe, what'd you review this week? This week, I reviewed Wayward, number one, from Image Comics, written by Jim Zubkovich, with art by Steve Cummings. I wonder if there's people out there that think Jim Zubkovich and Jim Zub are two different people. I bet you. I bet there are. Yeah, I bet you there are. It's confusing. (laughs) Colors are by John Rausch. And uh, with some help by Zub himself. I didn't know he did that. It was a 32-page comic for $3.50. Rory Lane is trying to start a new life when she reunites with her mother in Japan, but ancient creatures lurking in the shadows of Tokyo sense something hidden deep within her. Gross. Threatening everything she holds dear. Can Rory unlock the secrets of her power before it's too late? Question mark. Jim Zub switches gears from the swashbuckling comedy fantasy of skull kickers in favor of a Buffy the Vampire Slayer style supernatural adventure. Zub has created a compelling lead character in Rory. She's half Irish, half Asian, transplanted to Japan. 
She's not American. I had to double check that. Like, it wasn't that she was an American, you know, an Irish Japanese American moving to Japan. No, she was living in Ireland, moving to Japan. Not that it's super important. Thank you for that. <laughs> I just felt like I had to double check it. You know, the story makes so much more sense now. <laughs> Rory is already familiar with the culture, but only knows it from stories from her mother. So she's experiencing it firsthand for the first time. I thought Zub did a great job capturing Rory's sense of wonder with her new surroundings, as well as giving us a sense of her own feelings about being torn between the worlds of her divorced parents. The story moves quickly, and before you know it, Rory is attacked by Japanese monsters called Kappa. Starts to develop a Karnak-like intuition power, which was super cool, and meets Ayani, a manic monster hunter obsessed with strawberry milk. It's Japanese, y'all. There you go. Kappa, by the way, really close to... Koopa, as in Koopa Troopa, also a turtle from Mario Brothers. I'm sure that is it's a whole not thing. an accident. Evil turtles are a whole thing in Japan. I don't know. I know. The art by Steve Cummings is just really stunning. He's got a manga tinge to his style that suits the story and the setting very perfectly. Are we saying manga now? Is that how we're doing that? Well, that's how it's pronounced, and manga. I'm just trying to be polite. That's how I'm going to say it. <laughs> manga. <laughs> He also does an amazing job of making the story look like it's happening in a real place. Too many times a comic will come out and it'll say location, Omaha, Nebraska, right, or whatever, and it's like, well, there's some corn, right, and then just generic buildings. Yeah. The moon, you can tell because it's gray, right. You know, <laughs> this actually looked like it was happening in Japan. There's no mistaking it. It's not a bunch of generic interior and exterior shots. The colors by Rausch and Zubkovich are beautiful. They're really saturated in parts, but instead of looking muddy, it gives the issue an otherworldly quality that I really enjoyed. There are a couple of interesting pieces of back matter that kind of flesh out Japan's cultural obsession with folklore monsters. I always knew that stuff like Godzilla and Kaiju and all that was popular. I really had no idea how completely... It oh. permeates the culture. Oh, there. yeah, dude. The yokai. That's yeah, like their I monsters. Mean, like, they are heavy into it. Oh, yeah. There's a million different monsters that do like a million different things. Yeah. It's awesome. I love it. And I was interested in this. I wanted to see where Zub could go with a female-centric supernatural story. I wasn't disappointed. I thought it was fun. I think it's going to be a great series. Don't miss the boat like you know you did with Saga or Chew or Peter Pan's or Faust or any other image title you Bomb passed on. Bomb Queen. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm giving this a buy it. I liked it. I mean, it's 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 cute and it's a little on the simple side and you know, the characters aren't super fleshed out other than like their background. Right. But I love the premise. I love the art. Okay. And I'm interested to see where it goes. I'm giving it a buy it. I thought Cummings art was the main star of this book for me. Totally. But I also think this book is not geared to me. Oh, no, no. And it, I, it's definitely written for a younger female audience, which is not a bad thing necessarily, but I think the fact that it was a little simple in the storytelling and almost a little referential, referential of some manga aspects and stuff like that and the monsters and whatnot, it didn't turn me off. I it Just as I was reading it, I went, okay, I see you working and you're not trying to get my money, which is fine. I thought it was good. I didn't love it. You know what I mean? Like, sure. And again, because it's not geared to me. And that's all it was. It was very well executed. If I knew 
a younger woman that was looking to get into comics and read a female-driven story, I would absolutely throw this at her. Cummings did an amazing job illustrating Japan, and it felt like Japan was a character in this book. It looked really, really pretty. I'm only giving it a skim it because, like I said, it's just not my cup of tea. Sure. And it I, is a very well-executed book. Yeah, and I think I, like, I elevated it to a buy it, even though I am not the demographic he's going after right. the most fiercely with this comic. I thought it was well done enough, and I was interested enough in the premise and and the potential. Yeah, uh, and impressed enough by the execution that I'm willing to keep reading. Yeah, I, I just and, and that I, is the indicator. Like, if I pick up a book, if I pick up a book, and for example, like an all ages comics, I give an all I give kids comics bites all the time. I'm gonna do it later today, even though I am not the audience for this book. Right, there's enough for me to latch onto. That made me think. You know what? Yeah, I'll read the next one. Yeah. I'll keep. I'll keep going. I'll see where they go with this. I'm just not going to come back to yeah. it. And it's not because it's bad. It's just not my thing. But totally like fine. I said, very well executed. Yeah, totally fine. Tell us a little bit about what you reviewed this week. <laughs> you you could say Sundowners. It's a weird one. <laughs> I picked up Sundowners. I didn't want to step on your moment. I appreciate that. I picked up Sundowners number one from Dark Horse. This is written by Tim Seeley with art by Jim Terry, a name that I was not familiar with. 32 pages, and it was 350. Tim Seeley has been around for quite some time now, but it wasn't until recently that I really started paying attention to his work. His revival series at Image has received rave reviews, and Joe and I both gushed over his most recent Grayson series following the Nightwingless Dick Grayson at DC. Here, Seeley's writing about a support group for costumed heroes hosted by a manic and possibly disgraced psychologist, Dr. David Shreds Shredgic has found a new life for his career, counseling superheroes after hours in an AA-type group setting. But there's a reoccurring theme to the disturbed heroes' stories, and it may or may not be due to their mental illness. Seeley does a fantastic job here building the real-world story of what superheroes would probably be like if they actually existed, which is crazy people. <laughs> he sets up each one of the costume vigilantes, all of which have their own personal psychoses, one by one through their little group therapy session. One has to sin in the biblical sense to unlock her powers. Another might be a paranoid schizophrenic blaming drug dealing in the ghetto on reptiloids, as he calls them. And there's also this elderly guy who is either just a stroke victim or something definitely happened to his brain in an encounter. <laughs> there's a mystery here, and Dr. Shreds is perfectly happy to dispel all of the hero's claims as mental issues, but the last couple of pages suggest something else is going on. Jim Terry's art really sells this story. He's got a very angular, gritty style, reminding me of a rougher Darwin Cook. He does an amazing job making the world feel real in one panel and completely fantastic in the next. Colorist Sean Dove was near perfect here too, bringing Again, a very real-world feel to the comic when it needed it, like during the counseling scenes, and this completely otherworldly creepiness to the stories that each hero shares, specifically the one that the old guy shares about how suddenly this person that he's dealing with, their head ruptures into this cloud of colors that he's never even seen before. There's enough of a mystery to bring me back here, and Seeley is developing a disturbing twist on the superhero trope that is more than believable. Great art, really fun story here. I think I am quickly becoming a Tim Seeley fan, and I never expected to say that. I'm giving this a buy it. 
dang. You know, like you with Wayward, I had a less enthusiastic reaction to this. I thought it was so strange and not enough of the hook to want to come back and see why it's so strange. Okay. You know what I mean? I thought I loved the art. I thought the art was really good. I think the idea of the superhero support group for people that might just be crazy. And see, that's what got me is how they delivered the hook. But the, the thing is, is that they are, they are actually superheroes. They are. You know, and so it's not that they're crazy people that think they're superheroes. They are superheroes. Well, but keep in mind, they are people that have made the decision to put on costumes and go out after night and put themselves in directly in harm's way, sure. which by definition would have to make you a little nuts. No, I get <laughs> it. Know? I get it. I just, I don't know. I kind of struggled to wrap my head around how it's all coming together. There's this weird thing at the beginning with the superhero that gives up fighting crime to do that weird ritualistic stuff. Right. Uh, there's the thing at the very end, like the last panel cliffhanger, which came out of left field, and I have no idea what's going on there. And while that can be fun and pique someone's curiosity with some books, I just didn't connect enough for, for that reaction to occur okay. with this one. Well, I don't mean, okay, and maybe this isn't a spoiler, but spoiler alert, it's obvious that all the heroes are talking about the same thing. They've all had an experience with this weird shadow people thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, and none of them know what it is, and it's easy for a psychologist sitting on the outside to look and say, well, first of all, this person's crazy because they want to be a superhero. Second of all, there's obviously a paranoid delusion going on here, or uh, you know, sex addiction going on here or whatever. And that's probably fueling these delusions that they're having. And like the psychologist is the one that's not connecting the dots. Each hero is trying to tell them there's something really fucking weird going on out here. And it's being dismissed as you're nuts, which that's kind of what hooked me. Sure. No, I, I get it. I, maybe I need to read it again, but I, I just, I didn't, I will say it was definitely written strangely, but I think Seeley wrote it very differently on purpose, almost like an experiment. Yeah. And I really like how they delivered the hook through the counseling, through, you know, the step by, through each right. person I, delivering I, I their story. I thought the execution, like uh, how the story unfolded was neat. Like, like I said, it's well done. Right. I just don't think Seeley gave me enough. There's just too much weirdness and not enough hook okay to make me want to know what's causing the weirdness okay does that make sense yeah so i'm giving it a skim it all right i'll probably read the second one uh i i did feel and again you know i'm armchair comic writing here but i thought that the whole premise of the superhero support group for for guys that have put on costumes and it's driving them a little crazy is a super strong premise all on its own. Oh yeah. And so all this other stuff with the rituals and the and the shadow monsters and the crow people and it just seems disconnected. And so there wasn't enough to connect the dots for me. Fair enough. So I have a feeling it's gonna come together. I'm sure it will. Hmm. Like I said, I'll check out the second one. So that is a buy it and a skim it for Wayward number one and a buy it and a skim it for Sundowners number one. Of course, you want to know what you Irish-born Japanese immigrants and lunatic superheroes thought of these comics. So, 
Join our support group over at the THN forums and cry your way through your opinions. You can find the forums by hitting the forum button at TwoHeadedMen.com. Earlier this week, the internet exploded when representatives from Sanrio told Hello Kitty fans that not only was she not a cat, but she was a little British girl. And again, according to Sanrio, she doesn't have a mouth. What in the f***? Right? <laughs> well, Matt and I aren't about to let sh- like this stand. So we rounded up a group we're calling the League of Mouthless Heroes, including Spider-Man, Deadpool, Chamber, Rom, Grifter, and Optimus Prime, only three of which actually have no mouths. <laughs> As we board the THN Blackbird and streak to Japan at supersonic speeds while we review 10 more of this week's new comics on our way to get answers from Hello Kitty herself, if she can talk at all. Yeah, if she doesn't have a mouth, that's going to be tough. She she has no mouth, she's not a cat, and she's got her own pet cat. Yeah, what in the hell? Who does she think she is, and, Goofy? And she's British? <laughs> Where did that come from? This is the Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed, Go! Bob's Burgers, number one from Dynamite. The writers and storyboard artists of the show bring the amazing Fox animated series to comics for the first time, and the results are really weird. They're definitely going for stories that wouldn't work in the main show, and it's a ton of fun. (laughs) I really can't imagine what somebody completely new to the series will think of it, but for fans, this is a real treat. I'm giving it a buy it. I watched the entire season in two days. It's awesome. Totally great. It's so great. (laughs) Shinobi Ninja Princess, number one from Action Labs. Speaking of comics that are not geared to me, this read like a video game fan fiction based on a story about cute ninjas in junior high. I had no idea what was going on other than three ninja kids were sent to spy on an evil group of ninjas that may have wanted to date the main character or something. This was bizarre cuteness and inside jokes meant for someone much younger than me. The art was competent and even pretty good in some panels but there's just no explanation as to what's actually going on in this story at all. It's full of weird, fake jargon. (laughs) Just didn't get it. Leave it. Adventures of Superman, number 16 from DC Comics. Man, I am going to miss this title. I didn't read every issue, but whenever I did check in, I found great stories from amazing creators getting to the heart of Superman in a way that the incontinuity titles just weren't. Joe Keating and a host of artists take the series out with a literal bang, and I loved it. Why is it stopping? Buy it. I don't know. Like, they just phase them out. They did the same thing with the Batman one. The Batman one ran for a while. They replaced it with the Superman one, okay. and now they're replacing it with the Wonder Woman one. like it's not one. selling or something. Or... I mean, it, I doubt it's selling huge, but yeah. it's they've, this is just how they've gone. They've cycled through different series. Pop. Number one from Dark Horse. This is the most cynical comic I've read in a while about a secret conspiracy to genetically construct the pop stars that dominate the entertainment news cycle. Here, we see one pop icon escape and bump into an aging cynic who's just a nice guy at heart. The premise here was great, and even though the story almost seemed to get away from the writer a little bit with the amount of ideas introduced here, I liked it. And there was fantastic art by Jason Copeland. Giving this a buy Genetically engineered pop stars. Oh, yeah. Someone's seen two, one too many episodes of Gravity Falls. Okay. Several times. Genetically cloned boy band. I, I don't know. Listen, watch Gravity Falls. Okay. <laughs> All right, it's amazing. Giant Robot Warrior Maintenance Crew number one from Cosmic Times. <laughs> That's a mouthful. That's a mouthful. 
After washing out of the giant robot pilot program, Erica signs up for what she thinks is the next best thing, the maintenance crew. Did you ever wonder how Voltron stays in one piece during every space battle? I just figured the kids were, you know. Nope. <laughs> wonder no more. That thing is full of scrubs, just like connecting pipes and putting out fires. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Cool. The art by Mervyn McCoy, it's got some issues, but this is a really fun idea. I'm excited to read more. I'm giving it a buy it. Okay. All-Star Western, number 34 from DC. Justin Gray and Jimmy Palmiotti write the end of Jonah Hex's latest adventure with help from the incredible Darwin Cook on art. Jonah is back from his trip to the future, and everything has changed, including someone else using his name and taking over a small Wyoming town, a situation that Hex and Tallulah Black used to write themselves out of history and literally sail into the sunset. This was the perfect end to the series. It was so good giving it a buy hero cats of stellar city number one action lab a comic made for joe patrick <laughs> lick thn's resident creepy cat lady joe patrick <laughs> i went into this expecting the worst but i discovered a fun all ages action title with a less intense beasts of burden vibe really yeah oh. yeah instead of fighting monsters they fight like giant they fight robots and supervillains. Oh, okay the art is really nice. I'm not a cat person, but this was a really pleasant surprise. I'm giving it a buy it. Okay. I'm allergic Somebody to out there wants it. I like cats. I'm allergic to them. I understand. Ghostbusters number 19 from IDW. With yesterday being National Ghostbusters Day, it only seemed fitting to review a Ghostbusters comic. And no, I'm not making that up. It was National Ghostbusters Day. It t it's in theaters now. Writer Eric Burnham is still doing a great job capturing the voices of the characters we love from the original film, and the art by Dan Showing brings a cartoonish feel to the story, but still maintains the occult scariness of the bad guys. He is really, really good. And this is colored beautifully, I should add. This was the penultimate issue to the mass hysteria storyline, but I really had no trouble following it at all. I'm giving it a buy-it. Jaeger, one shot from Rebellion. Speaking of overcomplicated, made-up sci-fi words, <laughs> I never thought that a comic about super sci-fi future fascists could be so boring. And yet here we are. Writer Gordon Rennie spends almost the entire one-shot explaining everything about the world of Jaeger, which is a Rogue Trooper spinoff, in great detail. It's like reading that part of the Bible that explains who begets who for pages on end. It's a neat concept. It's beautifully illustrated by Simon Colby. It was a complete slog to get through, and it did nothing to make me want to read the source material. I was going to say leave it, but I have to give it a skim it based solely on Colby's amazing artwork. He drew the Royals miniseries oh, that I raved about. He's really good. This book looks gorgeous. It's just a shame the story doesn't match up to it. Sing gimmick. What? Skyrimit! <laughs> wow! <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy number 18 from Marvel! Finally, we get to see how Star-Lord and Rich Rider, a.k.a. Nova, escape from the Cancerverse in the end of the Abnett and Lanning Guardian series that I love so much. Only, we don't, because <laughs> the story's continued next month. Regardless! They gotta fill a trade, buddy! This issue was great, featuring Ed McGinnis drawing a knockdown dragout fight between Thanos Star-Lord, Nova, and a surprise guest. Totally. Not giving it away. This book is just fun. Guardians of the Galaxy is just as fun as the movie. If you like the movie, Let's not get pick it up. Away. I love it, man. I have fun with this book every month. I'm giving it a bite. That 
is your ludicrous speed round, and is the sound of Peter Quill wielding the cosmic cube, as seen in this week's issue of Guardians of the Galaxy from Marvel Comics. So if you kids are out there playing cosmic cube, that's the noise it makes. There it is. As you may have heard, I'm forcing Joe to play fantasy football again. But this year, I promised him we've got a friend who's going to help him out with his draft. What I didn't tell him was that friend was Mephisto. And these draft tips would only cost him a little tiny thing that he's not even using right now. His soul. I'm using it! But, I mean, come on. If he wants to humiliate his co-host on the hypothetical gridiron... Gotta be worth an eternity of suffering, right? So I, I humiliated you last year without any help. I don't think that's true. I don't yeah, recall what true. happened, but I don't think that's. How oh, it went it's down. true. So join us now in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum as we get some great late round picks from the devil and talk about next week's comics. Joe, before we both roast in hell for eternity, tell me what you're excited to read next week. Oh, jeez. My pick for next week is God Hates Astronauts, number one from Image Comics, written and illustrated by Ryan Brown. Here's the solicit. Ryan Brown's farcical cult sensation returns with a new story perfect for new readers. A NASA-funded group of arrogant super people must stop a rash of farmers that have been using rocket-powered silos to launch themselves into outer space. (laughs) It's perfect. Sure. As these astro farmers fire themselves all over the galaxy, NASA must utilize their every resource. A guy with a ghost cow head, a bunch of magic bears, and a Chicago cop with robot arms. (laughs) To avoid an intergalactic incident. You may recall that I quite controversially gave the God Hates Astronauts trade paperback a skim it because it was too weird. Yeah, and you're an idiot. (laughs) Not for everybody. It's supposed to be weird. That doesn't mean I didn't love it. It only meant that, like, I can't just say, yeah, you, on the street, go pick up God Hanks Astronaut. You're definitely going to love it. I fucking loved it. It It's awesome. And honestly, like, believe it or not, this solicit here, not even as weird as some of the that went on in the other one. That is absolutely (laughs) true. I am totally pumped that Brown turned the success of his graphic novel into an ongoing. Yeah. Good job, dude. I am excited. Matt, what's your pick for next week? I had no other choice. I got to go with The Death of Wolverine from Marvel. This is written by Charles Soule. Oh, I think you had a choice. With art by Steve McNiven. You should solicit. It's the beginning of the end. Three months to die ends here. I don't know what that means. The beginning of the end is now. The death of Wolverine. Three months to die. The loss of Wolverine's healing factor all led to this. The single most important X-Men event of the decade. Logan has spent over a century being the best there is at what he does, but even the best fade away eventually. Over the years, Logan's been a warrior, a hero, a renegade, a samurai, a teacher, and so much more. But now, the greatest X-Men hero will play a role he's never played before in this special weekly event brought to you by industry superstars. Yada, yada, yada. I already told you their names. They're going to kill Wolverine, man. I'm giving them props for that. I love Charles Soule. I'm glad to see him getting a major opportunity like this. Steve McNiven draws a kick-ass Wolverine. This is going to be fun. Now, how long he stays dead? Eh, we can wager on that later. I don't know. I give it six months. Uh, I think they'll stick with it for a little longer. But we'll Nerd see. bet? Let's do a nerd bet. I mean, Peter Parker was gone for two years. Call your shot. Nerd bet. What do you think? I'm going to say... You're going to say six months, and I'm going to say longer than six months. Okay, well, uh, do you want, do you, so you're taking the over. I'm I'll taking the over, yeah. You're taking the over. Yeah, All right. Yeah, I'm taking the over. I'm saying less than six months. You're saying more than six months. Totes. Nerd bet on. There we go. Now here's the real curveball. What if he doesn't actually die? 
Yeah, I mean, they didn't kill Batman. Mm, what? DC had a story called Batman R.I.P. where Batman did not die. All right. <laughs> so here's the thing about the death of Wolverine and Three Months to Die. It should have been called Three Months to Start to Die. Because... Apparently. He lost his healing factor like a year ago. Right. We only just now got to the Three Months to Die prequel to the death of Wolverine that took three months to come out, and now we're finally going to start the death of Wolverine. It's coming. It has been the longest death scene in the history of fiction. It's been a long death scene, but we'll see. And who, who's going to kill him? I'm going to tell you this. I don't give two sh**. I haven't read the Wolverine comic in... I haven't been reading Wolverine either, and I haven't really cared for what's been going on, but I, do, I want to read a monthly Wolverine character. Wolverine is one of my favorite characters. Well, you picked a great time to jump on. Yeah, I think Charles Soule is going to kill this. I think it's going to be fun. The THN trade of the week is Walt Disney's Don Rosa Library, Volume 1 hardcover, Son of the Sun, from Fantagraphics, written and illustrated by Don Rosa. That doesn't even make any sense. Here's your solicit. Fantagraphics is proud to present... Their first complete chronological book of Duck Adventures by contemporary fan favorite Don Rosa. Famed for his prize-winning Life and Times of Scrooge McDuck, Rosa wrote and drew a whopping two decades worth of ripping Scrooge and Donald yarns. Presented with sparkling color and, quote, extras. <laughs> it's in quotes. These Duckburg epics are getting a definitive North American edition for the very first time at a price even Scrooge would consider a bargain. I'm picking this up. Me, too. I'm picking this up. I'm sick of people telling me about how amazing these comics are. And I'll be real honest, I have seen artwork and panels and stuff. Never read any of it. I was at the Eisners when Don Rosa got inducted into the Hall of Fame. If you're having trouble deciding if Chris Johnson deserves a third round pick, just do what we did. Swear your allegiance to Satan and ask for his help. He's a nice guy. I did not swear my allegiance to Satan. After um, that, let us know I what promise. you plan on reading next week over the THN forums. I went ahead and did it for you. You don't even believe in Satan. <laughs> of course I don't. But here he is. <laughs> Before we move on, we got to pay some bills here in the ziggurat, guys. We have a new sponsor we're super proud of. HeroNext.com. Are you sick of idiots on eBay offering you five bucks to end your auction of Hulkoin 81? Guess what? There's a new site called HeroNext.com that's heard your cries, nerds. HeroNext is a free, streamlined comic book selling service run by comic nerds for comic nerds. Unlike other auction sites, HeroNext allows you to easily list your comics with pictures and then you choose a fixed price. And the listings all have links to the CGC census, the Grand Comics database, and both the Marvel and DC wikis to verify whatever comic you are buying and selling. One of the best things about this, the ease of the search engine. Yeah, man. Like, when you list things on eBay, it's a huge pain. If you try to find Incredible Hulk number one, it's going to come back with... Posters, every Hulk number one Autograph, miniseries ever made. Rigno pictures. Toys <laughs> for some ridiculous. reason. On HeroNext.com, it's just the comics. Incredible Hulk number one is going to get you nothing but. And it's cool. You search Hulk, Incredible Hulk number one, and it's going to say, all right, do you mean the one from the 60s? The one from the 80s? It's got all the different eras parsed out right there. You pick the one you want. Bam. That is it. 
These guys have already sold close to $45,000 worth of comics on their site. In just a few months. And it's free. They're not taking any money from the sales right now. How can they afford to pay us? They're freaking saints. I don't know. And you know what? My favorite feature? Customizable comic eras. Very cool. If you think that the Bronze Age starts when Con- with Conan number one, and I think it starts when Gwen Stacy died, we're both right on HeroNext.com. HeroNext.com. Check these guys out. They're good buddies of ours. They're out of the goodness of their hearts. They're sponsoring the show. We appreciate it, and they really do have a great site. Go check it out. You guys will love it. It's free. Folks, we've got another month with five weeks in it. That means Joe and I have to come up with a whole nother segment. And this time, we are going back in the comic studio to interview a comic professional by the name of Jason Sachs. You might know him. He's a buddy of ours. You've probably heard him on the Answer of the Week. If you don't listen to that show, you're missing out. Jason Sachs has been obsessed with comics for longer than he'd care to remember. He's the owner and publisher of Comics Bulletin. You can find that at comicsbulletin.com. Check it out. It's great. He also likes to write books. His latest is the American Comic Book Chronicles, the 1970s, published by Tomorrow's Press. It's a collaboration with series editor Keith on Dallas. Here's some snippets from Joe and I's interview with Jason Sexier himself. Jason Sachs, welcome to THN. Tell us a little bit about the American Comic Book Chronicles. What is the deal with that series? Thanks, guys. Really fun to um, get a chance to talk to you after all this time, just calling in and kind of being strangers but friends at the same time. So the American Comic Book Chronicles is a series of books that's edited by my friend Keith Dallas that covers each decade of comics history as kind of uh, what we like to think of as a biography of each decade. Um, So um, the first book that was published was a um, book about the 1980s, and in that book um, a number of us wrote chapters about... um, each individual year. In that book, I wrote the chapters about 1985 and 1986. Um, That then led to making me the offer to um, co-write and co-edit the uh, book about the 1970s, which turned into a rather giant project for a number of reasons. Jason, can I ask you, who came up with the idea for this, for the American Comic Book Chronicles? Where did it, like, originate from? So, Keith... um, so back, to back up just a little bit, um, I'm the publisher of Comics Bulletin, and um, Comics Bulletin's been around actually since 2000. Um, it was originally Silver Bullet Comic Books and became Comics Bulletin. Um, my predecessor in the editor-in-chief role um, was named Keith Dallas, and Keith left the staff in uh, about 2007 because he was busy working on a book called The Flash Companion for Tomorrow's Press. Oh, I own The a- Flash Companion. It's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, because uh, I'm part of that, too, and it was a lot of fun working on that. Uh, Keith grabbed a bunch of us who were uh, friends and, and um, asked us to write different sections on it. So I got to write about Robert Kaniger and, uh, I believe, Joe Kubert in that book. Very cool. Um, Keith then wanted to do more books, and uh, for various reasons, uh, Tomorrow's have been doing a number of companion books. There's a Legion Companion. I think two volumes of the Legion Companion. There's a Krypton Companion. There's a Hawkman Companion. But DC at some point cracked down and said, we don't want to do any more of these books. In fact, I was slated to do part of the Wave of the Bold Companion, but that never ended up coming Ooh. out. Oh, man. That would have been yeah, awesome. Be <laughs> that would have been so you awesome. You know, the first 25 issues, there are all these kind of High Adventure type series, The Shining Knight. There's a Robin Hood series. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That stuff is so fun. It's just beautiful artwork. 
anyway, so that that never came off. Um, and then Keith was looking around for ideas, and he wanted to put out a book that would or a series of books that would chronicle comic history with kind of a neutral tone. The thing is, like, comic history has been written in a lot of ways by either the winners or the people who have an axe to grind. You know, there's great biographies of Kirby and, and Ditko and uh, all kinds of other great creators. Uh, I, mean, I myself has dozens of those at this point. But they're all written from that very specific viewpoint. There's, there's really not a book that goes into depth about the American comic book industry, but also um, doesn't really have an axe to grind, so to speak. So one of the main points that Keith made me or made sure that I knew going into all these books is we, we're not biased anyway. We're just trying to report the facts as much as we can. Because of that, then we're able to kind of pull out the stories uh, from that from each of the years and kind of tell them in ways that um, are interesting but not necessarily you know slanted. On that subject specifically, how were you able to dig into this stuff and and separate opinion from fact? It seems like most, like you said, most of comic history as we know it is written by people that were working in the industry, and some of them were very happy with what happened, and some of them were super pissed about it. Like, how do you decide who was right, who was the good guy, who was the bad guy, what is actually fact? That's really been the most interesting part of this project, because as you know, there's certain creators who write a lot of history. Jim Shooter, for example, was, of course, a key figure in the 70s because he takes over Marvel in early 1978, uh, and of course was huge in the 80s book, has, has these long, very detailed histories about what happened while he was at Marvel. And we have to believe those to some extent, but we also have to kind of accept that there's going to be some contradiction. Of course. My, my rule of thumb, essentially, is to go back as close to the event as possible, assuming the stories that people are telling at the time are the events that, that are most likely the events that happen. Sure, sure. And the best example of that is the death of Gwen Stacy, which, of course, we all know, even though it's 40 years ago, is still an event that we think about all the time. In fact, it's probably one of the top five events in all of Marvel history. Um, Ten years ago, Marvel did their, their top 100 comics of all time. I think it was in the top five. Um, but there, no one has really... There's been a lot of shifting stories about why they decided to kill Gwen Stacy, what the meaning is of the, her neck snapping, what the, what the intent was at the time. We came up with, I want to say, three or four different stories that kind of semi-contradicted each other. And in that case, actually, Keith and I kind of sat down together and compared notes on the phone. And then I stumbled over an old letter that Roy Thomas had written to the Comics Journal in 1977. Good Lord. Um, at, at, at that time, Thomas wrote the journal all the time. It was the main uh, news outlet um, in the comics field. And he spelled out in detail that he was just uh, kind of tired of Gwen Stacy, felt like the character needed to move on. We did it to revive the book to some extent. And um, all the external evidence kind of bears that out, where um, there's a letters page uh, four months after the, the issue appeared, where it's clear that, like, they had no idea that they were going to unleash this firestorm at the time, <laughs> and they gave this very kind of half-assed answer about why they killed off Gwen. And so kind of everything lined up. So then that kind of pushed, like, there's a great story that Conway tells about how um, John Romita Sr. wanted to do a tribute to Terry and, uh, and the Pirates, the classic comic strip, because um, they would frequently kill supporting characters in Terry and the Pirates as a way of kind of ratcheting up the tension. But it just didn't seem to be completely borne out. So we mentioned that briefly, but what we really concentrate on is more Thomas's story. 
Sure. I'm, I'm curious, have you been contacted by any of these older creators that are still around to be like, how dare you write that opinion or whatever? Has anyone called you out on anything? Well, so this is the most interesting part to me because um, the, the one thing that I learned the most from this book, from writing the 70s book, is um, how much Stan Lee did for Marvel in the 70s. Not Roy a popular sentiment, actually. <laughs> not a popular sentiment, but Roy Thomas is writing the 1940s volume in the series and was a consulting editor on this book. So he read every section of the book that pertained to him. And if you remember, in the early 70s, Marvel expanded hard into the monster line. They came out with Team of Dracula, oh, yeah. Werewolf by Night, uh, Frankenstein's Monster. And over and over again, my first draft was Roy Thomas sat down with John Romita and designed this character. And over and over again, Roy would come back and say, no, Stan was the one with that idea. Stan wanted to do the Son of Satan as the Mark of Satan. Stan wanted to do I, Werewolf, which became Werewolf by Night. Again and again, Stan was the creative force at Marvel. Wow, and you don't hear that, especially with those characters. It's a, there's this popular misconception that Kirby was the idea man and that Lee was just kind of hands-off to some extent. And that was true in some, uh, in some ways, on some levels. I don't want anyone who's a fan of Kirby to misunderstand me. I think Kirby's an absolute creative genius. The thing about Lee is that he really was hands-on for a number of years after he stopped writing the titles. It's clear from the direction that the line took, kind of some of the decisions that they made, and the fact that he was really legitimately like hands-on in terms of we need to expand it to the monster books, we need to expand it to magazines, which is a big initiative at the time. Uh, we need to make efforts to keep Marvel's line diverse. Um, in fact, you can see Lee kind of moving away from Marvel Ironically, about the time that the, the phrase Stanley Presents came to the top of all the uh, title pages in the mid-'70s, because that's when Marvel concentrated more and more on the superhero books. There's really a surprising amount of uh, material out there now, first-hand accounts of, um, of that history. Whether it's um, fanzines from back in the day, which I'm a big collector of, and so I really enjoy kind of picking them up, or it's reminiscences in like magazines like Back Issue or Alter Ego, or or whether it's the different books that have been written about the creators of the time. Like there's a wonderful book about John Romita Sr. that was really helpful. There's um, my friend Clifford Mass has written a number of books about Dave Cockrum, so he was able to give some information about the early years of the X Men. And and then there's also like great archives. The Comics Journal, for example, basically from about 1976 onward is a pretty definitive source for news and commentary. They have a, a long and, and interesting news section, especially towards 77, 78, 79. So just as an example, like there's one of the big events of the decade is the DC implosion from 1978, yeah. when 40% of the DC line was canceled overnight by a um, Warner Brothers executive. In fact, the entire line would have been canceled if it wasn't for the fact that Superman, the movie had just come out and was doing fantastic business. And there's a number of verbatim accounts from the time, like both the comic reader and the comic journal have long, long articles about that. Um, and then there's uh, a lot of reporting since then. There's um, stuff in Comic Book Artist magazine that goes into that in great depth, and then other pieces online and other set places where um, where there's information about it. There really is kind of an embarrassment of riches. There was really, honestly, only one place where I couldn't find any um, resource information of all things the um, origin of Luke Cage hero for hire. <laughs> really? <laughs> so it, like, no one had ever covered that as far as I could tell. Is it a mystery? So, uh, <laughs> in that case, I just went to Roy and Roy's story was so straightforward that it's, 
made sure. perfect sense. So sure. there's no reason not to accept it. Fair enough. You worked on the 80s book. Obviously, the 70s book uh, is your baby, but you did a bunch in the 80s book as well. What's next for yeah, Jason Sachs? He asked knowingly. Yeah, what do we get next? Okay. What's coming next? Well, okay, so um, there, there, there's the obvious answer, and I'm going to get to that in a second. I have um, a chapter that's going to be in a book called Ages of the Avengers Ooh. about Jim Shooter's run on the Avengers, particularly the Korvac saga. Oh, cool, and cool. That book is, and that book is coming out towards the end of the year from McFarland Publishing. And then I also have a book, uh, a chapter in a book about uh, called The Ages of Iron Man, also coming out through McFarland Publishing sometime next year, about um, Tony Stark, the alcoholic. Nice. And um, then um, I have a book that's going to be posted to Amazon tomorrow. Um, uh, that's uh, by myself, Keith Silva, Chase Magnet, Paul Brian McCoy, and Daniel Elkin. That's about Day Tripper. Oh. oh, wow. I didn't know this. I read a lot. Man. I read a lot. It's like I, if you don't have a podcast, you have time to write. You listeners are really <laughs> busy under our noses. I had no idea this was going on. I, I knew that you guys were doing a day tripper thing, but I did not know it was going to be in book form. That is amazing. That is very cool. And then the, the next book in the series that I'm working on right now that I'm about 2,000 words into is the 1990s volume. Oh, boy. I am tingling with it's anticipation. All spikes and mullets and chains. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I expect at least 50,000 words on Starman. <laughs> oh, I love Starman. Oh, there's going to be a Thorcore chapter, though, right? I mean, like, it, come on. Thorcore. <laughs> but that's a ways away. Yeah, You're just getting works, started on it. Um, Techno comics. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, man. Isaac uh, Asimov's iBots oh, yeah. or whatever. <laughs> yeah, William Shatner's all that crap that he wrote. Oh, man, I can't wait. <laughs> Just yesterday, I got this giant 10-pound box of Wizard magazines in the mail. Oh, Lord. Would that run you? Five bucks? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, it may cost me more than that to pay for the mailman's hernia, but um, anyway. <laughs> Any ideas when we can look forward to the 90s? Is that a ways off? What do you think? We're hoping to have it done by next year, Comic-Con time. Awesome. Excellent. Jason, before we let you go, tell all the listeners where they can find the book. Um, the book should be available. Uh, it's It's got a diamond order number, so you can ask through your local comic shop. It's also available through Amazon and through Tomorrow's website, and they offer a digital version. The um, hard copy price, because it's a large, oversized, it's hardcover, big. Yeah. Um, slick paper, beautiful book, is... Um, Forty-one ninety-nine. Totally but worth the it. The digital, though. I think, is eighteen through the site. So, um, if you would like to get the information but not spend for the for the package, then um, absolutely the digital is is well worth it. Uh, and you are at Jason Sachs on Twitter. Yes, I am. And ComicsBulletin dot com is how they get to Comics Bulletin. There we go. And yes. just knowing, I'm at Jason. I was a huge fan of Silver Bullet comic books. And I can't, oh, I so. can't believe that you were even remotely involved with that and all of those companion books. It's like I've known you for years. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so tickled by that information. That's awesome, man. Oh, yeah. Like when I See, first. I knew there was a reason I felt so familiar talking to you. <laughs> there you go. You know, the internet was a wild frontier in the 90s. All you had was, you know, GeoCities fan sites and sparkling. Uh, cursor arrows and <laughs> IRC chat. Yeah, uh, but yeah. when when like comics journalism online finally started to coalesce, 
comic our silver bullet comic books was one of the first sites i found oh yeah and it was I must read stuff thing. we used to read it in the comic shop all the time so i am oh yeah super pumped to know that it has evolved into something this successful and we want to thank you very much for coming on the two-headed nerd everybody seek out the american comic book chronicles of the 1970s the 1980s book is amazing as well all of them are amazing yeah they've all been great and that 90s book can't come fast enough. And you can get your weekly dose of Jason Sachs on the answer of the week. He calls in almost every week with an informed uh, and funny answer. Oh, gosh. Now I'm going to blush. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Jace, thanks again for talking with us. We hope to hear from you again thanks, real guys, soon. Glad you had me on. Sort of break it down like this. And that is it for episode 176 of THN. If you like discussing the lives of the pudgy nerd creators behind the good-looking, sexy superheroes as much as we do, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn, where we love your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your little hearts, because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. Thank you, as always, to all of our donors. You keep the lights on in the ziggurat, and it's hard to record in the dark. It is. If you want to help keep us in bribe money for potential interviewees, you can make your donation in any amount using our unscrupulous PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. Just kidding. It's got journalistic integrity. It's scrupulous. Yeah, it is scrupulous. <laughs> it has scruples. And if you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation Monthly box. As little as a dollar a month really does help you guys. It really does. While you're there, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, and our Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. Using this pudgy and pathetic list of resources, you can beg the comic pushers for a new read. You can defend your questionable nerd taste in front of our two-headed judge for our Defender segment. Or you can hit us with your Ask a Nerd question or trivia challenge. Or ask us to review your self-published comic, be it printed, digital, painted on the side of your house, whatever. Challenge! Try that one, DuPont. <laughs> and don't forget to sign up for the THN forums. This is your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show, recount your feelings of the Korvac saga, or just rap about comics. Remember to follow us on Twitter and like our Facebook page, and watch the forums if you want to get in on the question of the week discussion. Then be sure to tune in to hear your answers on the Answer of the Week podcast. But hey, if you need more THN in your life right now, get over to TwoHeadedNerd.com and check out Ludicrous Speed Reviews by Aaron Myers, Saturday Morning Cartoons by The Credible Hulk. You guys, Casey Baum has sent me three blogs in three weeks. What? Really? I've got another one. I've got another one ready to go. It's a renaissance. We got contacted by someone at HBO due to her last blog, by the way. <laughs> I don't think that person was really from HBO. Yeah, I'm not sure. It was I weird. I think that was junk mail. <laughs> Next week, it's another wild card show where just about anything can happen and will. We don't know because we haven't decided yet. Yeah! Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Jake the Snake Roberts. Mr. Roberts was checked into a Las Vegas hospital after collapsing on a flight and he went into a damn coma. According to Diamond Dallas's Page's Twitter, he's awake and talking. Word to you, Mr. Roberts. We hope to see you back on your feet again soon. And the world of professional wrestling would not be the same without your patented finishing move, the DDT. It was devastating. So much so, they outlawed it for a while. Oh, man. Yeah, he didn't care. He did it anyway. Until <laughs> next time. He's making the rules and breaking them. True believers. Remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer just might kiss you on the mouth for it. This is the Two-Headed Nerd. 
signing off.